Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. You're here with your old pal, Jamesy. <laughs> and you're also here with Brandon Schwartz of the Great Dive Podcast. Welcome. And you're here with another exciting episode of Scuba Diving Podcast and Talking. <laughs> with your old scuba buddies. Scuba pals. That's right. Your buddy you go diving with, but your pals you listen to on your way to work. But your buddy, like your uh, your buddy could be your pal. And, and I like to think of like all of the listeners of the Great Dive Podcast are kind of my dive buddies. Are we have this conversation again? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> the pals versus buddies debate it's, it's ageless it's, it's like um lover or significant other really hmm i don't know i don't know if it's like that well, i guess it could be well i mean i mean christmas is coming yeah, Brad. the goose is getting fat <laughs> <laughs> and uh <laughs> you ladies out there need to put <laughs> A little gift in your old man's hat. (laughs) His pants hat, if you know what I mean. Here we go. Good segue. (laughs) Ladies, yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, ladies, because today we are brought to you, ladies of the Great Dive Podcast, by Santa's number one helper. That's right, Manscaped. And this holiday season... You should go beyond the boring gifts and stuff those stockings of yours with something he actually needs. That's right. We're talking about the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra from Manscaped, the ultimate below-the-waist trimmer designed to treat his special snowflake. <laughs> I don't know. You ladies uh, out there can uh, gift the joy of smoothness to your man and slay the holidays with you got it. 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with our code TGDP. Remember, ladies, this is a gift for him and you. Brando, I know your wife loves your manscaping. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> she uh, honestly thinks we're, we're she both She sends a me reminders ridiculous. all the time. <laughs> After you get done grooming your candy cane, it's time to make sure... Uh, you don't smell like a reindeer with, you know, the crop smoother that you're so well known for. <laughs> Am I though, that, really? <laughs> that aftershave lotion, crop preserver, anti-chafing ball deodorant that everybody is happy that you use on a regular basis when you're getting in and out of those undergarments on uh, on a dive. People, just like Brando, once those liquid formulations touch your, your man's sack, he's never going back. That's right. You can give him the gift of Manscaped, and it doesn't stop there. Boxers 2.0, that signature jewel pouch to cradle his presents, just the way they were meant to be. That's right. Get 20% off free shipping, everybody, with the code TGDP at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use that code TGDP. His balls will be singing, baby, it's cold outside. (laughs) I don't know if this is pushing us over the edge into we're borderline 
pornographic, I think. <laughs> that is why we're an audio-only audio podcast. Only. Well, that's definitely why. I mean, when I, uh, when I pop my leg up to show you like uh, how, how well my trimmer's working, if we were on YouTube, yeah, forget about hard. it. Band. Band. Brando, I've got something interesting yeah? for you and the people today. Right here. Oh, I like it. Right, right on this page, right here. You know, one of our fan favorites is the old, I learned about diving from that such and such an event. Yes. It's one of my favorites, too. I, 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 I told, told the story many times. It was my favorite section of, of the magazines. And I've got one that is so fitting for the people. Not necessarily by what it's about, but it is about something very interesting, and it's a very good learning experience about being smart with your diving and and learning more than a, a very fast, quick, basic scuba class. That's we always like to talk and discuss about, and this one is very relevant, but it's more about who wrote this. Interesting. Who? And I'm not going to give it away. Is this a, uh, we're going to have have the folks guess, have our listener audience guess? The floor is yours, people. You know how to get a hold of us. Info at the Great Dive Podcast. Send us a message. Who do you think wrote this article? And um, we will reveal it. Should we Next give week. them any hints, or are you just giving them, like, any diver? No, 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 no. The, 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 the whole story is okay. a hint. Okay. You got to put your brains on, <laughs> put your brains people. On people. <laughs> Turn on your Brian's, you moran. <laughs> Brando, I learned about diving from that Ben's hit in Bora Bora. Well, I hope so. I hope he don't get bent in Bora Bora and like, ah, I'll do that again. You know, when you think of uh, Bora Bora, yeah. which which of these things do you comes to mind? Towering skyscrapers. No. Ten ten lane <laughs> expressways. No. A city of lights, twenty four seven. Extremely remote, middle of nowhere. Not very well populated or well, high Well, actually, a, a a coconut drink with a bamboo straw sitting out of it. Yeah, that was going to be my next <laughs> that's, one. That's exactly when you say Bora Bora. That's what comes hammock, to my mind. Hammock between two palm trees, coconut drink. Yep, and palm trees gently swaying with the ocean surf in the background. Yeah, that's that's what I think of with Bora Bora. I mean, I think of Bora Bora as being like, a, a, you want to go a, a place to get away from yeah. it all? You know, it's like one really of those. Really get away from it all. Remote. Remote. It's, it's not like you're going to Grand Cayman, you're going to no. Bora Bora. Like Grand Cayman, I mean, it's busy. Yeah, it's. Now, <laughs> now imagine. <laughs> imagine Bora Bora. Right, This article was written in 1986. Over 30 years ago. How do you think Bora Bora was back then? I think it was probably pretty scarcely populated. That's, that's what I'm going to go with. And interestingly enough, <laughs> the story was 20 years old when he wrote it. Oh. 
So we're going we're going back to being in Bora Bora in 1966. Wow. So this is an old dude. This is an old it's an story. Old dude too cuz if he's diving in 66 he's You've been he's diving way a older while. than me. He's closer to your age. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting place, Bora Bora. Diving aggressively in 2023 when you consider the number of recompression chambers around right. the world. There's still many places where you want to be a little bit more conservative and alter the, the way you dive because of where you're at. You know, it, it's it's almost it's like not even like necessarily a depth thing as much anymore of like, I mean, there, there's dives that you could consider of, of going to 200 feet being less risky, less yeah. danger, yeah. less risky because you're in such a well populated area you could be to a hospital in a recompression chamber within an hour including the boat ride back to shore versus like a, a hundred 130 foot dive but being out in the middle of nowhere where you're days from civilization is actually being a way more risky and dangerous of a dive yeah well that and if you're not careful with your ascent rates i mean you can do almost any dive and and fuck up the ascent and you can get bent uh, there's a lot of people that I know that you know they they sit there and talk about how safe they are because they only dive to, you know feet, 60 right? 70 feet they don't like to push but they peg that dive right computer yeah, right <laughs> right to the end and they think that they if they stay just inside we, that they're safer and I'm like dude I <laughs> you got to remind them this is a uh, <laughs> you know the greatest expansion ratio is in the 30 last 33 feet number 1 so and we and all got to go, gotta through, go that. through that. So the time factor becomes very, very critical on these, what you'd call mid-level to shallow dives. So yeah, right. And when the and then the only thing that you have to use to decompress is a reduction right. in ambient pressure. It's the only tool you've got. You got to go slow. That's all. It's, uh, it's that simple. Yeah. Um, the safety stops help. You know, of course that helps, but. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But even uh, beyond that, you know, it, it's it's great you do your safety stop and then you you zoom up from fifteen to zero. That's you kind of. It said I'm clear. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think it needs. I don't know. I I put a great emphasis on it when I teach people that that the shallow depths are where you really really slow your ascent. You know, ten feet per minute kind of thing. And and the closer and closer you get, the slower, you get. The slower yeah. and slower you go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean that that's right up to yeah, 10, yeah. 9, 8, right. 7, 6, 5, 4, right, 3, what are you 2, in a hurry 1. For, yeah, number totally. one. Number two, uh it, it is your safety edge, especially most of the folks, you know, don't dive like we're diving it, you know, all the time. They're they're diving once a year or twice a year and they throw the whole year's dives in a week. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I'm gonna. I need to get five, six yeah. dives a day in. You know that. I mean, that's what uh, takes. A, I mean, th- yeah. that to me, like trying to do like five, six, uh, sixty, seventy yeah. foot dives in a day is way risky. more intense on the body and and risky than doing one or two hundred and fifty to two hundred foot dives. You know, with 
a, a good clean mix and, eco, and decompression and, yeah, gases and in real slow ascents and yeah when you start pushing stuff like that you get into those uh the subclinical dcs hits it takes yeah. its toll on your body your, at the end of like four or five well, six yeah, days your body of doing actually that. i think triggers an autoimmune response and you start getting that flu-like stuff i mean i've had this happen to me when i was young in my diving and i was just like fucking you know, like I was doing the five or six dives a day. Right, yeah, yeah. You're on that typical scuba vacation. Like, oh, we're going to get up and do a morning oh, dive. Still diving you know, quite actively, and then we're going yeah. to get on the boat and knock out two dives, and we're going to come back, have lunch. Uh, there's an afternoon boat we can jump on and yeah. try to do a night dive. You try to cram all that in, and you're down in the hot <laughs> Caribbean. You're sweating your ass off. You're not hydrating enough. That shit takes its yeah. toll on your body. Yeah, no diving with no wetsuit or anything it uh definitely the hypothermia sets in the dcs sets in it was a classic hit there was no time to think about it but i knew what it was a severe cramp seized my solar plexus and i doubled over i was bent dun 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 can we get a hint? Does he have a, uh, an American accent? Does he have a British? Is he is this being translated from Tahitian? Because they are kind of close to Tahiti. <laughs> I don't know if people know where Bora Bora is, but it, it give them an idea. It's uh, it's like the same distance out into the Pacific Ocean as as Hawaii is. I think it's a little closer to the equator. What's well, in the the heart of Polynesia, uh, French yeah, Polynesia it's right over there? So, but French remember French Polynesia is a bunch of islands like Bora Bora, which there's nothing there, right. you know. Uh, a bunch of little tropical paradises with nothing but blue horizon, and uh, it's like in many ways it's kind of like the uh, the the comic of the deserted yeah. island. Yep. Yeah, it's like in between uh, South America, Peru level, and Australia. It's uh, it's it's farther south than uh, Hawaii. And on top of that, remember that this place, Bora Bora in French Polynesia, the time was the spring of '66. Oh, that was a good year. That was a good year. <laughs> oh man, you were you were just out slaying the ladies in '66, weren't you? Cute back then. <laughs> I had been living and filming with my family for nearly a year on the islands. My children and I had our own Boston whaler anchored alongside and diving with me. Was an old friend, an experienced diver. He was accompanied by a native helper. My friend, an excellent still photographer, and I found garden needles on the sand slope beyond the reef. The depth was 130 feet. I was so entranced by the scene and so excited by the subject that I continued filming until I sensed the first restriction in breathing that attends the end of air supply. We both had single tanks. I started up immediately, knowing there would be enough residual air to support me to the surface and, incredibly, not really concerned that I would have none to spare for a 10-foot deep pause. My friend, 
not yet out of air, continued his dive, actually somewhat deeper than I had been. So this is back in the day with uh, no SPG, probably just using a J-valve, and you start to feel the the regulator get a little tougher to breathe, so you reach back and pop your, your J-valve lever down, and you uh, start your ascent, because that basically it, it gives you that difficulty at, a, at around the 500 PSI mark. It, it sounds so simple, simple isn't it? <laughs> Look at you with your submersible pressure gauge. <laughs> Look at the bougie diver with his SPG. I wondered if they really were like, if they would make fun of you if you pulled out that new technology of the SPG or worse yet, a, a fucking buoyancy compensator. <laughs> or an octo. Well, I mean, this, I mean... I mean, a lot of the kids today I mean, probably are having a hard time even comprehending. Yeah. You know, back in our day, like in the 80s when we took a class, most of those instructors had been diving. Beforehand, yeah. Uh, just just a, just a J-valve at some point, right? I mean, the J-valve, you know, when, when I first was a kid working at the dive shop, I mean, 50% of the bottles right. that came in, you know, for, for a visual inspection had yeah. J-valves on them still. You know, uh, somebody taking a scuba class for the first time in the 2020s, you know, their instructor, there's a good chance, has never even actually seen a J-Valve other than, you know, the legends say (laughs) that there was a time in scuba past where the the valve of J's were used. (laughs) It does sound more authentic when you use your ancient... Old English <laughs> accent there. <laughs> Carl the legend of Carl But that end, the, there was, I mean, taught the theory that the 71.2 cubic foot tank was so perfectly engineered because it was to impossible get to get bent on that a 72. Whole, that's the whole thing, isn't it? That's the kind of the baseline that they used for um giving a recreational dive limits and and uh basically the 72 couldn't get you bent you didn't have enough gas to get bent yeah you couldn't you couldn't go deep enough you couldn't stay long enough that if, if you use that bottle you just breathed until you ran out of air and then you pulled the lever and started your ascent. You had enough air to, to come back up and, and, and do the ascent. the tables were such that, you know, 35 feet or 30 feet was unlimited. Was unlimited. You remember that? And, and the ascent rate was 60 feet per minute. And, like, I remember a commercial school even going, changing our depths for deco was go as fast as you can to the next depth. Quote, unquote. Right, because early on, I mean, they were. I mean, a lot of the commercial military guys were pushing for like a hundred foot per minute, hundred feet per minute ascent yeah. is what what they suggested and wanted. Everybody was already doing, and, they, unrealizing they were not realizing that they were doing at least a hundred foot per minute most of the time. You know, <laughs> follow your smallest bubble. Blah, whoa, whoa. Blah. <laughs> oh shit! There it goes. <laughs> the, the thing is, even doing that, you're doing a hundred foot per minute plus. Right, and then you, you you think of like sixty feet per minute, which was ultimately like a a um, 
yeah. a compromise between a couple of different ideas of, of, of diving, you know, uh, with all these different people doing this. Uh, but that 30 feet to the surface ascent, that's, you know, within 30 seconds. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> popping to the surface. Yeah. You, you know, they're going much faster than 30 feet per second. And unless they use their computer and they're, you know, that's telling them, slow the fuck down, uh, they usually just, you know. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it takes me longer than that to come up from six feet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll vouch for that. <laughs> I made I the surface. To, just to re I just, I'm sitting there watching you at three feet, and I'm like, okay, we're done. I'm not sitting here at three feet for another minute. I got to pee. <laughs> not all of us hook up on every dive. Anyway, go ahead. Listen, <laughs> I manscaped this morning. So you're used. So you're I'm putting that, no I'm putting that condom catheter on. Yeah, too tight. It's slick as a candy cane. I'm I'm. Gluing that puppy tight, on good. I'm a tight wad with my condom cast. So. I'm drinking all of this coffee. <laughs> and a gallon of water. <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking all of this water before the dive, and I'm going. I made the surface, handed up my gear to the kids, and pulled myself aboard. The cramp at mid-drift was immediate and violent. I remember Susie and Gordy watching me with alarm and concern, although they had no real notion of what it meant to have the bends. Neither did I. This was a first. I knew I had to get down to pressure again to relieve the pain and also vaguely thought I might decompress myself by hanging off. I don't know if that's much of a decompression. What is he talking about, hanging off the, <laughs> the boat there, just sitting in the water? Well, yeah, he's gonna. He's saying, "I, I should go back right. down and decompress." But he's out of. He's, yeah. But he's out of air. Well. So this is uh, like the the early invention of what would be known in as uh, yeah, IWR in water. or in water recompression. Decompression. Which grabbing a, a another bottle yeah. of air, you know, grabbing another bottle of air like Mike Nelson <laughs> did in Sea Hunt, <laughs> dropping back down to 30, 40 feet, probably isn't the I don't know. The, in the, the exact play-by-play of the procedure. Well, there. not anymore, but I think back then, beforehand, I, I mean, if that's all you've got to work with, you use what you've got to work with. I'd pop back down. Very, yeah. very true, and uh, I think that this is where his head was, right? I mean, it, and you gotta give him some credit. I mean, uh, 1966. Yeah. I mean, uh, the scuba class was just in its infancy. Yeah. You know, the, the class as we know it is, is yeah, was in its infancy, and he's already been diving a while. So he's one of the early I mean, it, diving people. One of the very early diving people. Yes. Don't give I'm this not, away. I'm trying to help the listener because we got to narrow know, it down I, uh, from. All of the divers. I know you're trying. Did, did he have an accent? <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, he <laughs> must have been one Is of the early a, divers. A I see where you're going. Animal or mineral? <laughs> <laughs> As Gordy helped me on with another tank, and I prepared to drop over again, 
My friend surfaced and boarded his own boat. He asked what I was doing. I told him I was bent and I was going back down again to decompress. To this, he replied, nonsense. It is impossible. <laughs> then you say it like that. Did he have a top hat and a cane? He did. Nonsense, he, I he say did. there. <laughs> nonsense, my good lad. Tis impossible. Tis not possible. Would they steal 71.2 cubic foot J valve tank? <laughs> you can't do it, buddy. You don't have the power. She's not going to. I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. Then, compounding my total naivety and unpreparedness, I dropped down and descended to about 70 Whoa. feet. The cramp. Whoa. The cramp. He was going down till, till uh, he didn't feel the pain anymore. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. He was going down to, to recompress yeah. that... Uh, yeah. That bend, right? So going down to that bubble compresses basically back into itself enough that the pain goes away. He says, uh, the cramps, of course, subsided. And I soon began a slow ascent, leveling off at 25 feet, and there hung on the line. As I hung there, I noticed my friend's anchor coming up <laughs> and watched his boat pick up speed and depart. I later learned that he had gone home for lunch. He just left you there? <laughs> hey, man, those tacos aren't going to eat themselves, yo. What the hell? They're making some uh, some coconut pineapple this is, salsa this is on the beach. the whole idea of, like, the buddy system is really, like, a suggestion or a hit. it's not really pushed very hard. He's right there. He's fine. I can see his bubbles. You can't see him from your lunch table. <laughs> we were diving on the same on the same dive site. He's my buddy. He's over there. I'm over here. We're diving together the whole time on the same island, Brando. That's about it. I mean, that was the buddy yeah. system for the yeah. longest time, right? Well. Which is, uh, and and I should say, for many people, it still is the notion of the buddy system. It, it's why I always try to distinguish was well, a big difference between a dive buddy and a yeah. dive teammate. Well, you, you had to make a whole new name because the the whole nomenclature of buddy has been, you know, shot because. Oh, it was extremely right, bastardized. Yeah, the, I would the say the idea of a buddy system is now just suggests two guys diving in the same locale, right? <laughs> Not necessarily there to help each other. They're just diving. The same locale. It's a it formality. Is. You can't get you can't get without in the water yeah. without a buddy. But you can get out of the water at two completely <laughs> exactly. different times. And <laughs> you can get out of the water on two different dive boats, oh, as we've well, seen happen happens. many times. And you can <laughs> Hey, they had buddies. They had buddies. That's all that's important. The last time you see it. I'll see you back on the boat, pal. They're really pals. Dive pals. Those are dive pals. Correct. That's what we're learning today. There's a difference between a teammate, a buddy, and a pal underwater. Exactly. <laughs> and an acquaintance. An acquaintance. I'm a dive acquaintance. That, that, that's the dive master. You can have a dive master, you can have a dive acquaintance. Dive acquaintance. 
As I hung off at 10 feet, beginning to shiver, I feel thoroughly miserable. A rain of tins and wrappers showered down about me. Hunger had overwhelmed concern topside on the boat. My children were attacking their lunches. At that point, I surfaced and to my profound relief experienced no return of pain or cramps. I thought I had beaten the rap. Of course, I hadn't. <laughs> well, what about this throwing the wrappers down into the ocean? What, what the hell is that about? This is a time oh my Lord. Before, oh. before ocean ecology. All of our, uh, all of our great, all of our greats in this destroyed the ocean of one way we do. They used to do that. All of our ecological greats, what we're learning from the from all these years of the Great Time Podcast, became ecological conservationists a little bit because of them realizing how much of uh, unecological shitheads they were many times in the early days. The guilt got to them. Like, yeah, we were, you know, like old Jacques blowing up a fucking coral reef. I got to get the boat count, through. No, I got to count these. The Monsieur, old, the boat must go through. one way to count the fish on this reef. Blow them up so they float to the surface. <laughs> and then you can count them really easy because they don't move anymore. They won't move. They won't swim away from you. You can count them. And the same thing with this garbage. This I don't know. I mean, it, it just seemed common sense to me as a youngster. You don't, like, throw trash all over the fucking place, especially in the water. Okay. Enough of my rant. We were, ch- we were, we were children of the 80s. Though. I wasn't. Dude. You were a child of I the was. 70s. 60s. 60s. Well, I was born in the 60s, but, yeah, really, I was a kid in the 70s. Did you write this article? You wrote this article, didn't you? I even I knew. You said you were diving in the <laughs> I womb. I was diving in the womb. You could, you could have wrote this article. Diving in the womb. <laughs> that afternoon, I became aware of an increasing heaviness in my legs. By evening, motor control had been lost in one leg and partial feeling in the other. Most critical, I couldn't urinate. Oh. That, oh boy! To me, would be the worst, wouldn't it? That's when you gotta go. You, you gotta can't. go, and if you can't, if you can't go when you gotta go, oh my god! There, 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 there can't be any yeah, worse of a feeling. Now, you realize you can't go, <laughs> and uh, you're hour, you know, <laughs> an hour from talking to anyone. At the quickest, yeah. just on 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 the island that you're on, in the middle of a bunch of nowhere, nothing deserted islands. He says, at the end of the day, the radio on Bora Bora shut down. Of course, they have bankers' hours. <laughs> <laughs> there will be no communicating after 5 p.m. on well, this island. Well, I think, you know. Maybe they tried to do 24 hours at one point, but they're like, nothing happens after six, you know? So why are we manning this? We haven't got the... I'd rather be in my hut. How am I going to a- How am I gonna post these pictures on Instagram? <laughs> I'd rather be in my coconut drink. Yeah, this is a... This is a day... This is a, a day before iPhones. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I when, don't know. Uh, communicate. Can imagine. I mean, that. communication was damn near uh, two guys on the end of like coconut shells with a big long wire going from one side well, of the island or, to the other. Or I, I think it was. I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. So there's not like a lot of traffic bringing you shit. You know, you're not getting the latest technology there. And there's no right. I don't know if people realize no internet what that actually means. Because I don't, I don't honestly believe young people. Does that mean they only had dial-up? Have you ever gone? Have you gone without your internet for uh, even like a week? Uh, yeah, when we were up in Isle Royale, I was lucky. I was, I was lucky you, enough. I was lucky yeah. enough. To not have a signal. You had. I was, it was great. You were I loved still it. Still on your phone. I I got pictures of you. We sent. I sent pictures of you. Your, your with your smashed toe. Well, yeah, because we were taking pictures on the boat, so I was. Ba- I was basically like a camera, and I was looking through you the pictures. You still got a couple calls in. You you were still not incommunicado because the boat had Wi-Fi. When we hit, when we when we hit Windigo, I did. I was able to pick up a signal and call my <laughs> hey, wife. Please. We're gonna look back through your phone and see your activity. That's this is a, you're like one of my kids gonna sit and debate with me, and I'll go, okay, give me that fucking thing. <laughs> I have no time for debating. Anyway, just just to be without internet, uh, I think is would be a struggle for a lot of young people. They don't know what to a what to do with themselves, Let, b how to work, function exactly, and then. Let alone no phone call. Either. No phone call. No television. No internet. Let's see see what you do with yourself. That's a good challenge. You'd be it back in our day, or at least my day. It was not a big deal. And and you and you you desperately medically and need to get somewhere. Help. Yeah. You, you you need help, right? So how do you call for help? How do you find out where the closest hospital is? Do you think uh, the kids today, if they can't Google uh, how to get to the closest hospital, or they're going to know where to go? Like if you're in a right. new place where yeah. you've never been? Yeah, I doubt there were yeah. H signs anywhere. Um, and there definitely wasn't Divers Alert Network where you could just, hey, Doc, no. I got this, this, and this. Help me out. That's what I mean, man. When you're talking, I mean, it's a remote island today. Let 1966, alone yeah. in, in 1966, there was no communication with Tahiti until morning, nor was there any medical facility on the island to provide a catheter for relief of my bladder. There's no freaking medic on the island? Nothing. Nice. I mean, when I say, like, deserted island, I mean, we're talking, yeah. like, Lord of the goddamn Lord flies. Of the goddamn flies. <laughs> Blue Lagoon. The young people don't know what Blue Lagoon is. Google, Google it. it. Brooke Shields. <laughs> With the horse already out of the barn door, we read all we could about the bends in the various manuals we had with us. Guided by a local fisherman who knew the reefs well, I was able to run my whaler out through the pass and then over the 32 miles of open ocean to the neighboring island of... (laughs) Ray Iatea and a hospital. 
At 3 a.m., a doctor responded to the emergency. By 8 a.m., a radio call had brought a small private plane. I was taken at low altitude on the one-hour flight to Tahiti and the hospital in Papiti. But there was no decompression chamber on Tahiti. The only one in the area was on a French warship that was attending the first French atomic blast experiments on the island of Muru, Muru, Muru. Mururua. Mururua. Are you serious? They're on Mururua? <laughs> 900 miles east in the Tuamoto archipelago. Yikes! I'm trying. I'm looking at a map right now, trying to uh, find all these little uh, islands, and they're they're out there, man. I don't know if I like the idea that our fucking leaders in this goddamn world were just blowing up shit with atomic bombs in the South Pacific. Where else should we blow it up? We see- <laughs> oh my lord! We're gonna do blow it up near my house? No. Let's go out there in the middle of the ocean. Blow up these beautiful islands. Oh, the, yeah, there's another story you want to get into, how they, they lied to the people in these areas. In the name of yeah, peace, we're, we're gonna, we need to learn how to blow every single thing up with these atomic weapons. Science. It's called science, James. You might want to learn it. Because we love you <laughs> and want you to be safe and happy. You need us to keep you safe. To protect you from us. <laughs> There's a chance you might argue with that person across the street. So let's practice blowing everything up. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah, they did some damage back then. Our good friend, James Stewart, who was the head of the Pan Am office in Jimmy Papiti. Stewart. J- Jimmy Stewart. J- J- Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible, too. <laughs> it's a wonderful life, James. It, it, it's a wonderful life. Old Jimmy Stewart used his considerable influence to interest the Naval High Command in my plight. They arranged to have me flown by military transport in a pressurized cabin to Mururua and called in their warship to rendezvous with me. It's pretty amazing that he's got, uh, got this, able to <laughs> get this connection, yeah. you know? Is that the J- Jimmy Stewart, the actor? A different no, Jimmy was, Stewart. Uh, this was, yeah, yeah, he was the, the head of the Pan Am office. I know Jimmy Stewart was, uh, was like a war hero. All those actors were back in the day. There, a decompression chamber had been readied for me. I was their first customer. The medical officer in charge of the chamber had never used it. He boned up on the manual. (laughs) That should have been your segue. (laughs) Speaking of boning up. Here, here. Climb in here. So somebody give me the instruction. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. Wait. You know what they say? RTFD. Okay, we're, we're sending you. Oh, wait. Stop. Take it all back. Get out of there. Yeah, I uh, can't imagine it went very smoothly. Approximately 50 hours after I had been hit, 
I entered the chamber and was pressured down to 160 feet. The standard treatment then for table four bends. 50 hours. 50 hours later, yeah. 50 hours of can't pee. Ay, ay, ay. There's, I think they, no. I would think the medic would have done something by at this point. If you're, if you're in the hope. chamber, in a medical chamber, you got oh. someone who can cath somebody there. Hopefully, hopefully yeah, by that. But I mean, fifty I, hours of like it. you would your bladder would have burst. Oh, uh, 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 and like it's just like the the pain that that <laughs> that Ben's hit, the dealing with that for over two days of trying to get to help, and like like this is what I'm saying. Like early, I mean, this is a dive to 130 feet. You know, so you make one little mess up. My, this is way more and intense of a problem, you know, than being somewhere where you can take a 15 minute boat ride. You're back to shore. That's 20 minutes to the hospital and you're in a recompression chamber. Yeah. Totally different way of, of thinking about how I want to approach multiple days of diving with how clean I want to be getting out of the water. Well, yeah. And especially back then, I mean, everything was, Everything was tougher to get as far as treatment, and they didn't know nearly as much either. So, no, no, I got, yeah, yeah, they're, he's he's really doing everything that, that he's learned. You know, well, I mean, it makes sense. He's, I mean, the the, the 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 manual back then, which was all you had, like when he got certified, yeah, which didn't, which certification meant he I bought may have equipment. Had a Navy uh, manual. There yeah. was a. The Aqualung <laughs> came with a manual that said, don't go up fast. Hopefully he had, he had looked at a Navy manual by that time. I know those were out there quite easily available. The second day into the decompression, I was able to relieve myself into a bucket. I still think of that first real indication that I was on the mend as the most wonderful and comforting leak <laughs> I had ever had. Oh, could you imagine? Pain. After two days, finally getting to yeah. take a piss. I was, of course, incredibly lucky. Hard exercise restored full use of my legs. Only a residual loss of feeling on one side from the waist down has lasted over the years. That has been to my advantage, he says. Whenever I require a shot, I direct the use of my left buttock. <laughs> Won't feel a thing. <laughs> right? Yeah. Boink. He says, when it happened, I had been diving hard for most of a year, almost daily. I was perhaps somewhat undernourished from the limited diet in the islands and certainly underweight and tired. Over a period of months, I became dangerously casual about the tables, diving at varied levels on either side of 100 feet during a single dive. The sea was waiting. The natural forces at work were, of course, steady, unrelenting. I was on borrowed time. My physical condition tipped the balance that day. My friend who went home for lunch, had been down just as long and somewhat deeper. He was also 10 years my junior, stockier, and rested. 
He was untouched by the bends and so refused to believe I had really been hit. Such are some of the variables. Well, we know now, though. (laughs) Don't deny that you're hit just because you think that dive profile couldn't have made you hit or couldn't have given you a hit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of points there that, you know, go above and beyond just using the dive tables or nowadays just using a dive computer, right? I mean, you can do everything your computer says, <laughs> not go, you know, take it right down to there's one minute left on uh-huh. my NDL, whoop, pop up, gain some more time. Yeah. Oh, there's yeah. three minutes left on my NDL, pop up, gain some more time and come up and and you know, theoretically, I've cleared my computer, but it, it's things like this of, you know, uh, being undernourished, being underhydrated, uh, uh, long-term exposure to these repetitive, you know, not deep, but deeper dives over and over and over again that it finally takes its toll on you that, you know, yeah, I'm within the restrictions of the computer, but I'm a, I can still get bent. Yeah, the computer's a machine. It's not a hum it's not a human body, so it's just doing a mathematical algorithm. And sure, by the algorithm you've you've cleared it, but your body is may just say something different. Like uh I don't think so. Right, because there's a huge gray is, zone yeah. in that algorithm. Well, and it says right on the computer right in the in the computer manual, it says this computer will fail you. Do not trust this computer. <laughs> right. I mean, every uh, every. If, I mean, nobody reads no. the owners' manuals now because they don't come with them anymore. You know. You go know. Now you got to actually go to the website, download them to to read the manual. Everybody's just got the little quick start guide of how to get the thing going. They go, day, date, time. All right, let's go diving. Uh, but yeah, I mean, page one. If you look at the manual, says. Do not trust this computer to prevent <laughs> decompression sickness. You can still get bent with using this dive Open computer. Water 101 says you can follow all the rules and still get bent, and that's why you sign all those waivers. So there's no guarantee. It is nice to, to know what to do in that case, then, or at least have an idea of if I get bent, here's what I'm going to do. Wait, that sounds like a conversation that's much longer than just one question on the exam. Yeah. It, you mean call call Dan, call 911. Yeah. There's a lot more to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a value to years of diving experience. Yeah. There is a little value to it, I think. He finishes this story by saying, I had never been certified. Having started scuba diving in the early 1950s with an instruction pamphlet that came with my first aqualum, <laughs> it advised me. <laughs> it advised me I could not get in trouble with a single tank. Any certification course today will disabuse a diver of such foolish notions. But I mean, that was it, right? I mean, uh, diver steel 72. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pop the J valve when it gets hard to breathe, and don't go up faster than your smallest bubbles, and you'll be fine. Was I mean that was the decompression lecture, if you even yeah. got that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very. Um, I don't know what the word. It, it 
it's almost like I don't want to say it was avoided, but the common belief was again, if you if you dive within the limits of this tank, you should be fine. And in many ways, I mean, I mean that still takes place in, in a lot of you know just the stories I hear from a lot of people diving in the the Caribbean dives today. I'm I'm on an aluminum eighty. I'm follow. I'm doing the same dive as the yeah. dive master. I mean, if he's not bent, I, I mean, I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be okay too. Uh, likely, but not necessarily always true. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent not always true because I've had the conversations when they come in and they tell me the story of their trip to the recompression <laughs> chamber. I mean, it happens. Almost every year I have at least one conversation yeah, with somebody. taking a ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just buzzing around Mexico, you know, Cozumel, diving every day. And one day I didn't feel good. <laughs> well, Brandon, what's your big takeaway? My big takeaway is um, don't be in denial, I guess, is the the big takeaway and have a plan. I, I, I have to tip my hat to, to this guy for having such a – small amount of training he uh had a good idea of what to do even out well what he had was experience i mean he'd been diving for 15 years actively like almost daily actively for 15 years and there's something that comes from that type of activity that you and I try to share a lot with people is the ability to start to read and understand your body. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a huge part of diving right there is, you know, uh, be aware of how you're feeling before and after the dive. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the, the biggest parts of understanding decompression, in my opinion. But you, you can't get that necessarily out of a textbook or an exam, or watching through YouTube videos. I mean, that is something that you have to do yeah. time and time again and feel and understand and learn to to read the effects on, on tiredness and sluggishness or feeling really good after a dive or, or feeling run down after a, a couple of dives. That's your body talking yeah, to you. And, and putting the two and two together, like when you do feel real good after a dive, or you've done multiple dives, and you come up feeling great. Well, what did I do different? What did I do different before the dives, during the dives? Was my ascent different? All those things you keep in mind, and then, um, yeah. You... <laughs> versus versus doing a couple dives, and all you want to do is yeah. go hit the hammock and, and take a nap. It's uh, That's your body right. and talking it, to you. And if you don't have the time in the water to, to really discern – is this something that I did underwater, or am I? Did I just not get enough sleep last night? Yeah, I, I don't think you can you can place enough emphasis on the importance of experience in a in an activity such as diving. It's um, it's going to teach you a lot more than the the textbooks. Although you do need a, a firm base to get started, you know, strong base. Yeah, I mean, taking taking your class is is the i mean everybody says this is your certification to learn and this this is what's meant right. by this is your certification to learn you you need time and experience doing that right. level dive well very cool brando um i know who wrote this i know you know I who do. wrote this but do the people know who wrote this people of the great dive podcast we're asking you send us a little message 
You can zip it over on uh, Facebook if you want to, or you can send it over to us via don't email. Cheat. Don't don't search on Google. Yeah, don't 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 try to, to don't try to research and figure it out. Do you? Does anybody out there genuinely know or have a good guess of who? This Do we want be. to give any hints whatsoever? Because, I mean, it's a broad no. base. This is a broad base, and we just said don't cheat on with Google. So you have to go into your your own recollection of, of divers. That yeah, I want, I want to know if there's any – because I, I know that there's people out there that if they think about this a minute, I can think of multiple names of listeners that I know right now who might email us. And, and there's a there's a few others out there that I, I think that if you think about the the scuba classics the, the the big names I mean we get we've given away like the time frame of of when this was so who were the big divers that have been diving back then I, I think we can get a couple people that'll know who this is should we say if he's alive or dead or somewhere in between <laughs> okay no should we say if <laughs> we did say it's a he. We, we we gave 50% of the possibilities away right there. 50%. Really? Brando, there's no use of signing logbooks because uh, we're going to continue this story next Excellent. week. Excellent. I hate signing logbooks. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's been fun. Uh, I think we will talk to you next week. Toodles. How, how's that? The new sign-off. Toodles. I like it. <laughs> The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. What?